it's a tool for spiritual growth. It's not spirituality, but it's a tool for spiritual growth. If you're standing on a threshold, if you feel a yearning to tap into your greatest potential, but you're caught in that fuzzy in-between space of the now and not yet, don't despair. You're being invited to pivot with greater purpose. You're on the thrilling edge of becoming. You are being called to unleash your soul song. I'm Becky Fleischer, and I believe we're all born with a gift that's uniquely ours, our very own soul song. And I discovered on my own journey that when we unleash it into the world, man, does it make life sing. You might express it through writing, science, cooking, nursing, teaching, or some other endeavor. The song is different for each of us, and its expression can change throughout your life, but it can only sing when you're in tune with your truest self. I know you're trying to get things in focus, that you're looking for encouragement and practical tools to illuminate your own personal journey. And that's what you're gonna get here. I'm excited to travel this road with you. Let's get going. Welcome back to another episode of Unleash Your Soul Song. I'm your host, Becky Fleischer. How are you doing today? I am having one of those really great days where it feels like it should be so much later in the day every time I look at the clock. I started my day super early, and it's been really packed with a workout, my morning meditation, some conferences for my kids' school. I took my daughter to get her second COVID vaccination. Thank you very much, modern medicine. Thank you. And I had this awesome interview that I'm bringing to you today, and I needed to edit it and record the intro and all of that. So I knew I had a lot on my plate today, and I didn't think I was going to have time to get it all done. But every time I looked at the clock, I received this awesome gift today. It was the gift of time. And I'm telling you guys, that never happens. (laughs) It never happens. If I'm looking at the clock... I'm either running right up against a time deadline or I'm a tiny bit over that time deadline. So to be looking at the clock today and I'm like, wow, I still have some time left before I have to go pick my son up from school. It's a gift. It's a gift, you guys. So my day is flowing so nicely that I'm going to have a little bit of time to put the finishing touches on my Core Values theme song session that's happening on Tuesday, May 4th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time Zone on Zoom. And I really thought I'd have to wait to get that work done until tomorrow. So I am totally loving life right now that I'm getting all this stuff done in one day. And you should be loving life too. We should all be loving life. But if you're not, you know what would help? And I do mean this earnestly. It would help you if you joined us on Tuesday night on May 4th for our free workshop on uncovering and defining your core values. There's still space available, but you do need to sign up on my website, theintunexperience.com, because when you sign up, you're going to download your free workbook, and then I'm going to follow up with you with the link to join us. It's happening on Zoom. And so feel free to log in with your camera on or your camera off. You can engage as much or as little as you would like. You do you in this session. So if some of the episodes from earlier this year about discernment between heart knowing and head knowing resonated with you, if you're struggling with a big life decision, if you're feeling a tug towards something, but you keep thinking to yourself like, who am I to do this? I don't think I've got what it takes. 
If you're feeling stuck, if you're lacking energy, then this workshop, it's really, really for you. It's going to help you uncover. It's going to help you define those core values. And they really, really will serve as that touchstone of truth that's just going to give you the confidence and clarity to move forward. So go ahead, put the show on pause for a minute and go sign up to be with us Tuesday, May 4th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time Zone. I would love, love, love to see you there. And now on to today's show, which I am so excited about. We are talking about the Enneagram, an ancient framework of nine archetypes, wings, points of integration, disintegration, intelligence centers, and so many layers upon layers of deep, deep wisdom and insight that will really help you understand the why behind your emotions, your actions, your motivations, and your needs. This tool, oh, this tool, you guys, It was an absolute game changer on my path. It shed so much light for me, and it cracked me open in so many ways that I never could have expected. And I keep going back to it. I keep going back to my notes. I keep going back to the books that I read. And every time I read it or every time I have a conversation with someone about it, it's like a new layer. I'm discovering a new layer a new way of looking at it, a new insight. And it's so helpful and illuminating to that why. It really does help you understand the why. And I have been so eager to bring this tool to you, which is why I am so grateful to have had this conversation with Vryn Rao, an Enneagram coach and meditation teacher. Vryn works with women and those who identify with the female energy to build strong and healthy relationship with themselves and with others. She does this by using the personality framework of the Enneagram to help us understand the lenses our ego sees the world through. And depending on that particular lens, meaning like our type, that archetype, that's the lens, we really internalize and process these different occurrences that happen in our life, words that people say to us, actions, circumstances. They're all so unique to us because of that lens, because of that ego lens. And the way that our ego categorizes it as something that's triggering to us, it's calling into question a part of our identity that we really hold dear, or that ego lens might have us see something in a way that's really validating to us, you know, like, ooh, I'm being seen the way I want to be seen. And so she takes those ego lenses, the Enneagram types, and helps us understand that triggering and that validation and where's that coming from. Vrin is also a meditation teacher. She's a lifelong practitioner of Nada Yoga, the yoga of sound, Japa Yoga, the yoga of meditative mantra recitation, and Curtain Yoga. She's also well-versed in Tantra, Chakra Meditation, Swara Yoga, and Yoga Nidra. So lots of different expertise that she holds in the yogic meditation field. I really want to offer my most heartfelt gratitude and appreciation to Vryn for making this interview happen. As you'll hear in our conversation, we had to reschedule a few different times for reasons that were totally, totally out of our control. And even though when she did this interview, she found herself away from home with unreliable internet, with a small child running around in the background, which you'll hear in today's show, she made it happen. She made this interview happen. And she was so completely present with me and dedicated to sharing this information with all of you while we were together. 
she is just such an amazing person. In addition, and I have to apologize for this one, we had planned on doing some live Enneagram coaching when we first talked about the show together. We thought that could be kind of neat. Vryn said, oh, I could do a coaching session. I've never done that on a podcast before. And if you're up for it, I could coach you and then your audience could kind of hear how that works, which I was totally up for. I think you guys know by now I'm willing to share a lot of secrets with you. So I didn't mind at all. I thought that that was going to be kind of cool. And so she was planning on doing a coaching session when she logged in to do this podcast interview. And then you guys, (laughs) I went down a million different rabbit holes with her. I kept asking her questions because I wanted to make sure that everyone had a good basis for the Enneagram. And plus, I'm just fascinated with it. And every time I talk about it, I can continue to talk about it as I'm doing right now. And I never gave her the opportunity to do the coaching. (laughs) Not at all. So Vryn, I am so sorry. There is nothing like the host totally mixing up the plan once you hit record, especially when you're already in a space where it's not your normal environment. You've got your child running around and I really threw a lot at you. So I apologize. But Vryn really delivered an amazing show here today. She is such a warm and giving person, but don't take my word for it. Let's jump right in so you can hear for yourself. Vryn Rao, welcome to Unleash Your Soul Song. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we connected a couple of months ago and we've been trying to get this on the books and I am jumping out of my skin that it's finally happening because there are so many things when I was looking at your work that I thought we could talk about because you do all kinds of different yoga practices, you have your meditation coaching, your work with feminine energy, which is a big conversation that I would love to actually have you back on to talk about at some point. But the thing we're getting into today and the thing I'm so excited about is we're going to talk about the Enneagram. I'm jumping out of my skin as well. I love the Enneagram so much. And yeah, any opportunity to share is just, I'm always bursting. Oh, well, I was so excited when I saw on your profile that you're an Enneagram coach. And I honestly, I couldn't get on the phone with you fast enough because <laughs> I have been so eager to bring this tool to my listeners. And even though I've done actually a lot of work with it myself, personally, I've read all sorts of books, which I have stacked up here. Uh, Our our listeners can't see them, but I have about five books stacked up here. I have about 10 pages of notes that I've taken on myself. So I have a lot of personal information about this, but I'm not really qualified to to speak about it and to talk about the exact nature of of this work. So when I saw that you're an Enneagram coach, I was like, oh, yes, this is so great. So I can't wait to dive into all of this with you. So our listeners, just to let our listeners know, we're going to do actual coaching. You're an Enneagram coach. And so we're going to show everyone with a little show and tell of how this works, how an Enneagram coach would work. And we're going to talk about what it is first. And I can't wait to dive into that. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and the journey that you've taken to come to it? Yeah. Thank. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that excitement. I'm always, it's so wonderful when you meet somebody who resonates so much and is excited as you are about the work. And actually that's what I, I like to think of it as, you know, this is a personality framework, but the personality framework may be cool and interesting and all of that, but what it leads to is actually a lot of deep work. Mm -hmm. So excited to, to jump into that a little bit about me. So 
I guess you can say kind of in a former life, my, uh, my background is actually biochem. I have my bachelor's and master's in biochem and, you know, wanted a return on investment, having spent so many years on that. There is that practical side to me and really had no idea what I wanted to do. And when an upcoming move to New York was about to transpire, my husband is based in New York. I thought that was, might be a good time to kind of figure out what I want to do. And it was on his suggestion, actually, that I took a coaching certification, not to become a coach, but to perhaps have the tools to explore what I would want to do. And so, honestly, I fell into coaching. It was not some grand master plan of like, oh, yes, I'll become a coach. And I fell in love with it 25 minutes into my training and really felt like, oh, no, this is bad timing because he's a coach. And he was just starting up his business. So here I'm going like, I want to do the same thing. Slightly different, different audiences and such, but still want to do the same thing. And it was actually through him that I became introduced to the Enneagram. So he, as well as his business partner and best friend, have been formally trained with John Riso, Russ Hudson, who are, you know, incredible teachers of the Enneagram. Yeah. Big names, big names in the Enneagram world. Huge names in the Enneagram world who have brought so much nuance, even more nuance to the Enneagram, in fact. And with that, I, I felt like a duck to water when I heard about the Enneagram because I had already been researching and had already noticed that we all have different natures and not to pigeonhole us into a box per se, but rather to help us understand our wiring, right? And so the Enneagram kind of came at the perfect time for me that this explained in such a nuanced, very specific, tangible ways as to the why I do things, not to the behavior, but to the why. And that why and that unearthing of that why and all of the things that are associated with it is where the work really takes place because it speaks to this lens by which we see the world through. And when we're healthier in, in viewing through that lens, we see we're not limited by it. And when we're in times of stress or even in our kind of average levels, we only kind of see through that lens. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a little bit of how I came to the Enneagram and how coaching in the Enneagram kind of became my life. Wow. From biochem to life coaching to the Enneagram, that is quite a journey, quite a journey. So I'm so excited to jump into this and I'm sure some people may have heard of the Enneagram that may not be a new term to them. If it is a new term to them and you're like me, when I first heard it, I was like, Ennea, what? Like, what are you talking about? Enneagram. It is a personality framework. Yes. I've heard people call it personality assessment, but that's not really fair. It's it's not on the same level as like a Meyer Briggs. And this really is a framework. And that's what I have found to be most helpful. And I love the way that you just said it helps you understand the why and then the work begins. Yes. It really yeah. helps you get to the work. But I also love it because it shows you the kind of your complete package. It, it gives you all the different sides. And in a way, it helps you look at your shadow side in a way that I don't think really other personality assessments get to. So before we jump super deep in, where did this come from? Where did the Enneagram come from? Why are people just starting to hear about it all of a sudden? I think it's become more, more mainstream in the mainstream you know, you know, conversation 
recently, it feels like, maybe I'm wrong there, but could you give us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, sure. So it actually has a lot of roots in mysticism. So there's Sufi origins, there's Christian mysticism origins. And so this is not personally, I feel like a tool of, of this world in some ways. This is, there is like a huge relationship to, to understanding how we as the ego are different than our true selves. And I think that's where that mystical aspect really comes from because it's a tool for spiritual growth. It's not spirituality, but it's a tool for spiritual growth. And so it kind of has those types of origins. And then you can kind of run through the history of Nurano and, and numerous other teachers who have added to this understanding of these archetypes, which some people speak to them as these nine archetypes, or something that I found through my own teachers, these are, I like to think of them more as ego lenses by which we see the world through, or the, the lenses by which we intake, we experience, and we process whatever is happening to us, whether it be in relationship, whether it be through experience, whether it be through um, our own suffering even. Yeah. You just said the thing that I feel like is what makes it so different is that you said it's a tool for spiritual growth. Yes. And more than anything, this has been a huge tool on my own journey. And that's what it was. That's what made it so different for me. It wasn't trying to tell me what I need to fit into this world and, you know, what my stress is, which is, those are very helpful. And those are great tools. And they have helped me you know, a long way in the way that I work, the way that I communicate with people, the way that I interact with, you know, friends and family and just on this kind of plane. But you just said, you know, it's almost not of this world. Mm -hmm. It really does tap into that more spiritual dimension, which to me is what made it so powerful for me. And I remember when I first started reading through these and learning about the nine types, and it's not a test. So people, you know, will often say, well, give me the test. And I'm the first one to run a go run to a, an assessment tool to tell me, give me the right answer. I want the right answer. Tell me exactly which type I am. And that was maybe one thing when I first started learning about it, I was like, wait, what? There's no, I have to discern this for myself. That's my whole problem. I don't know how to discern, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting thing to work your way through because you learn so much about yourself by reading, by going through the process. So tell us how you work with clients when they come to you, if they have absolutely no experience with the Enneagram, or maybe they have a little bit, how do you take people through this process? It's such a great question. And I, I so deeply appreciate that it's coming from you. And it's not, it's not me who has to say this, because typically I'm the one who brings this up and that no test can tell you what you are. No test. There may be some that may bring you a little bit closer in terms of just prompting you with questions, but it can't accurately shifting responsibility. And if you think about it, it's like, you tell me, you have to do the work yourself. And so part of how I try to do that work with people, especially when they come new to the Enneagram or curious about the Enneagram is through a lot of deep questioning. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a process mm -hmm. that you need to go through. I get to just be an instrument or a tool to help 
perhaps make some connections, offer some possibilities, and then it has to actually sit very, very strongly with you. And what I say with every person that I do a consultation with or a coaching session with is this is a hypothesis. And as we continue to do the work, what we do is we start to build more and more and more evidence to that hypothesis until it becomes so strongly confirmed you feel, yes, this is it. This is the box I've trapped myself into, not the box that I fit myself into. And I think those are two separate things as well. So I always feel like it's through these types of consultations where somebody really isn't out to quote type you, but is just as curious as you are, or maybe even more so to help you decipher and understand. Because many people don't have the time to do tons of research with books. And even after they've done research, they sometimes aren't sure. I found this for myself. I have my own coach, even though I may be really good at holding space and, and asking questions to somebody else. I'm terrible at doing that for myself. I'm just terrible mm -hmm. because I have so many assumptions mm -hmm. and I'm just, I'm just not as curious because I have so many biases already. So that's one way. And then I always recommend along with that workshops where you get to truly experience the energies of these types. So those are a couple of ways. That's right, because I know there are tests that you can find online, but they, they're really not definitive. Like you said, I loved how you just said you're working towards a hypothesis and you're just gathering evidence to firm up until you get to a place where you feel solid. And I have to say from personal experience, when you get to that place, it feels really solid. It lands and it lands pretty hard. Absolutely. Now, a big piece of it, I know for me, and I, and if I hadn't read this, I'm not sure that I would have been able to get myself over this, but, you know, I was, I was torn between two types and uh, which we'll, we'll get into in a second. And one of the types I was like, oh, no, 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 that's definitely not me because I didn't like something it said about it. I, you know, I was like, no, 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 I don't like that. I don't like that character, uh, you know, of that type. And I don't like that uh, attribute. So nope, that's not me. That's not me. And I read something in one of these many books that I have here. And they said, the f one of the surefire ways to kind of know that that's your type is you want to run away from it. Yep. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, it's amazing how when we know something is inherently true, we push it away fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At least if we haven't begin the pro have began the process of that work to kind of immediately question, oh, I don't understand why I'm doing this. Let me look into it. The first response is push that away as far as possible. Yeah, yeah. That's not me. Right. That's not That's me. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So why don't you walk us through really quick? There are nine types. And could you just do a quick little run through of the nine types and help us get our head around the orientation around them so that when we have our conversation, people will have a, a framework to put this in if they're not familiar. Sure. So what I'll do is perhaps I'll just speak to the basic motivation of each type right? Because there's just so much nuance around all of this. And maybe the first place I'll begin is by saying, we have all nine of these energies within us. So for anybody listening, if you're feeling like, well, how in the world are you supposed to choose? I relate to all of this. You're not alone. We have all of these. The point is that we lean or we see through, or we're motivated by one of these much more than the others. And that takes some discernment. It really, really does. So we'll just go, I guess, in the order from one to nine. So the one is known as the moralist and the basic 
motivation is to be good or be right, right and good. For the two, it's the need to be needed, to be loved. For the three, it's to feel worth, to feel, sometimes it can be defined as success, but actually deeper than that is to feel my own, my worthiness, my value. That's it, value. For the four, it's, and, and these two are close, and you'll see that most of them are actually close, my own personal significance. For the five, it's to feel knowledgeable, and, and, that, and that goes much deeper as well, of course, to feel that I have enough knowledge. Um, for the six, it's security. For the seven, it's to feel, so this is uh, going to the need, of course, it's to feel satisfied. And for the eight, it is to feel strong as well as respected. And then for the nine, it's to feel peaceful. It's to feel peaceful. So I just realized I didn't give the, the names of all of them and I'm happy to go back and do that if you feel that might be helpful. But those are the nine motivations slash needs that run through for each of these different ego lenses. Yeah. And I think really quickly, yeah, if we do just go back through and give them their names, but also maybe um, because we also have the triads, which I think is kind of important to understand and where they, sure. where the numbers sit. So there are three triads. And so maybe you could talk about that quickly and then run us back through and say, you know, these three are in this triad, these are in this and give us even another layer of a framework to work in here. Sure. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been studying more recently and I'm and my own understanding of these triads has actually deepened and I realize what an important place they actually have. And so I'll, I'll, we'll just keep people on the edge of their seat for a minute. We won't go into that directly yet. So I mentioned the one is the moralist and you'll see that different Enneagram books may have slightly different names for these. So sometimes the one is also called the reformer. The two is known as the helper, the three, the achiever, the four, the romantic or the individualist, the five, the investigator, the six, the loyalist, the seven, the enthusiast, the eight, the challenger, and the nine, the peace seeker or the peacemaker. So those are the nine. I know I went through them super fast, Perfect. but those are, those are it. And so with the triads, what you were speaking to Becky, so these are actually centers of intelligence. And this is such an important piece because to be a holistic human being, we actually need to tap into and make use of the head, the heart, and the body. And so three of the three types fall into each of these centers. And so we can start off with the body center. So those are the eight nines and the ones. And so what that means is so they have an interesting relationship with the center. Just because you're in a particular center doesn't mean you have full access to it. I think that's a really important point to make. You, very often types within that center actually find it very difficult to access that center. But at their healthiest, what it means is they have tremendous access to it and that's where their power actually comes from. So the body center is also known as the gut center. And so that means it's an instinctive knowing. That's what we access. And all of us, regardless of Enneagram type, have access to this type of intuition or this gut knowing. 
So that's the body. So for the twos, threes, and the fours, they're all in the heart center, right? And the heart center is all about feelings. And so again, you know, for threes, for example, we feel, but boy, do we not really know what to do with those feelings? So there is a disassociative tendency, even for a type within the heart center to truly feel. And so that's the heart to be truly be able to access the heart. And then finally, the head or the thinking center are our five sixes and sevens. And if you deeply try to understand what does thinking mean, it's all about logic. And if you notice, or perhaps people who resonate with this may say, I think a lot. I, I do feel like perhaps I'm part of this, this triad or perhaps they know they're a part of this triad, but the question becomes, but do you apply logic? That's what thinking is. Those are the three centers. And whether you're familiar with the Enneagram or not, just even having the simple exercise of seeing which center do, do I rely on the most can be very, very powerful. Because for most of us, there is one center that we almost avoid completely. The centers are very fascinating to me because, should we, can we, give, should we give the big reveal now of our numbers? Sure, please. So the centers are very fascinating to me and people who listen to this show will understand what I mean because I have talked about this a bit in this season uh, because I am a three. And so I am right in the middle of the heart triad, which yes. is interesting because as you said, just because you're in, in it doesn't mean that you have full and complete access to it. And so one of the things I've talked about this season is this real conscious effort I have had to make over the last several years of moving from my head, head knowing and making that the leader to really dipping into my heart and not even just following the heart knowing because I feel like I always have. So that was the thing. Like I always did have this heart knowing and and I would follow it, but not always. You know, I I didn't always trust it. And so that's where the conflict comes. And so you know, the more I've learned about threes and, you know, you, you can certainly speak to this to deeper levels. They're in conflict with themselves. Totally, totally. And in fact, most types are in conflict with themselves, but threes, oh boy. And, and we can <laughs> go into the specificities of that for sure. Um, but yeah, isn't it amazing that what helps us the most, what powers us is what we run away from. Mm-hmm because in some ways we don't trust it or we don't see its connection to our basic need. Yes, there you go, right there. We don't see its connection to our basic need. That is it in a nutshell. I, ha I had another episode of where I had someone on, we were talking about needs and I was talking about how I denied my needs for such a long time because I saw them as squishy needs. You know, when I took a different personality test, it was uh, um, uh, the Berkman, the Berkman personality test. And when I saw on there that I had blue needs, which are very, you know, you need to be emotive and you need to be heard and you need to be loved and you need like, and I was like, I don't need all those things. Like I can forge on without that because the other thing about the three, like a three is a make it happen person. Totally. You get shit done. Like you make things happen. And that is so my MO. And for me, that need was going to slow me down. That was going to totally stop my progress. It was going to get in my way. And so you saying that about 
it's the need. It's, it's pushing up against what you need. That is so me. That is so what I have realized. Oh, and you brought up something so on point here. And that is for the threes, especially it's, I'm all about trying to seek my value and I'm not able to actually experience my own value. So the way in which value has become for me is what I do. It's not who I am. It's what I do. And so guess what? When everything is based on what I do, feelings are not efficient. Correct. They get in the way of my efficiency because I can't keep doing. And if I can't keep doing, I don't get the claps. I don't get the validation. And then I don't know who I am. So it's amazing because the power dynamic of validation is actually like completely pushed on the externals. I don't even know how to access that for myself. And so it's, it's really, really hard as a three to even figure out. I mean, I was just, I was taking a walk with my daughter today and you know, I'm a three myself. And I was listening to, to some teachings on the Enneagram and the speaker was talking about threes and knowing who you really are. And I had such a deep realization of, I actually don't know who I am. I don't like who is like, when we talk about this ego, right? These collection of identities that I'm trying to get validation for who like, who am I separate from that? And that's where the spiritual work begins, right? That I'm a soul and that there is no validation that's needed. Everything is already there. But externally, the ego is saying, well, that's nice. That's really nice theoretical information. But actually, no, you're, you're like, you're smart and you're, um, you're kind and you have all of these things to offer. And God, you have so much potential, which is something that the threes more than any type on the Enneagram, they can sniff out potential, whether it's in ourselves or anybody who walks into a room. Yes, yes. I've, I, I've never heard somebody say that before about a three, but that's it, sniff out potential. And I'm kind of laughing because that's what I say. I have said it on this show. I said it, I was in a just in a five-day intensive training course and they were saying, well, what's your, what are you good at? Like, what's your natural thing? I was like, man, I push on potential. The minute I see even a hint of potential, I'm going right there and I'm going to push on that and I'm going to see where it can go. It just, that lights me up. And I, I think that's why I ran from the three initially, because I was like, I don't actually feel like I need the claps or the applause or the like, great job, Becky. I need that hit of dopamine that I get when I see potential and it's sitting there dormant. And I'm like, oh, wait, you don't see that? You don't see how you can just put some water on that and like till the soil and you can get those little shoots popping up and getting that plant to push through. Like that jazzes me up so much. I love that so much. And I don't really need somebody to come back and say, great job, Becky. What I need is for that plant to grow. (laughs) Like I need that plant yes. to grow. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's where, depending on the level of consciousness, and this is something Riso and Hudson, such an incredible contribution to the Enneagram, that's where understanding where our level of consciousness in terms of, you can think of it as a spectrum, right? Really high level of awareness to average level of awareness to like no awareness practically, right? So depending on where our level of awareness is, And this is something I feel like when you read about the three or when you hear about the three and 
this applies to any number, you may initially feel like that has nothing to do with me at all. Mm-hmm. Because typically in readings and in presentations, you get a very, because there's just so much variety, it's difficult for anybody to go through all the nuances of it, right? So you get like one version of that energy. And there are things that you may relate to it. And there are things that you may not relate to it. So for some people, the validation is look at me, look at me, look at me. For others, that dopamine hit or that validation is I can see this when others can't. And it's more subtle. It's more subtle. And it becomes more and more and more and more subtle as your level of awareness increases until finally you just realize like, wow, I'm just actually after validation. Anything I do, I'm after validation. I see it. And when we're at that level of awareness or consciousness, that's when we can actually begin the work of starting to break the ego. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, it's, there's so many things in there with the three, and I know we're circling around the three tightly because that's, that's what I am. That's what you are. But when you start to dig into your number and you start to, like you said, take out all the different pieces, some places you're going to have a higher level of consciousness and other places you aren't. You know, I thought it was interesting because like one of the indicators for a three was, you know, they're natural showmen. They like to be on stage that I actually don't like to be on stage. I find Mm. myself on stage quite a bit, but I don't. I mean, even doing the, I love doing this podcast, but I get so nervous before every episode, before every interview, like putting my voice out there in this really big way. And I'm a musician, same thing, like getting over my stage fright to just get out there and sing. That was really, really hard for me. So there were parts of the three I was like, well, that's not me at all. But then there were parts that I was like, "Uh oh, that's totally completely me." Like, <laughs> you know, like 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 you have a hard time, um, you know, accessing your emotions. You'll push them away, and you need someone, whether it's a partner, whether it's a spiritual advisor, you need someone who can sit with you and help you sort through your emotions because we want to be very efficient with them. Like you said, we want to put them in a little box, and we want them to just be you know, off to the side and don't get in my way. It kind of causes a lot of problems though. <laughs> it totally does. And, and, you know, when you were saying about that internal conflict, you know, adding maybe like two more pieces of nuance into this, we also have something called the wing or yes. like the secondary energy, right. Which also comes into play. And so depending sometimes the wing, the energy of that may be in complete opposition to your primary type. So for example, the three, as you mentioned, is a, it has much more of that external outward energy. Some people may call it more extroverted, right? But if you have a four wing, for example, or if you're a four with a three wing, boy, can you experience a lot of confusion. The four is much more pulled back. The four is much more introverted. It's much more about space. It's like, are you sure? Are you sure you really wanna do this? You know, And so you have this internal battle that takes place. And so this is, I think, where the beauty of the Enneagram really comes out. And that's in a couple of ways. One is that forces us as we go deeper and deeper into this work to start becoming more comfortable with ambiguity. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a mystery around that, right? That things aren't so clear cut. I'm trying to make it clear cut it's not clear cut. I'm 
very extroverted and I'm very introverted. I am extremely um, goal-oriented and driven, and I'm also really insecure, and I'm, I'm very unsure of myself, right? And there is space to hold all of that. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, we're, we're focusing on the three here, but I think this is applicable for all types to just give that space for all of these contradictions to mutually exist. Yeah. That's what healthy growing is actually all about. That we're not one or the other. We, we tend to lean towards making ourselves actually very one dimensional when we cut off parts of ourselves. And we do that, I think, because it gives us an illusion of control. Yes. Yes, indeed. You just said it exactly right there. And so many things about that. I love, that is what I love about the Enneagram. It does not force you into binary thinking. It allows you to hold many truths at once and truths that might live in tension. For me, it gave me the framework to do that. And I never had that before. I, I really struggled with holding truths in tension and, and seeing things as being interrelated and, you know, complex and not black and white. And this really did give me that framework to hold that space. That's an excellent point about what this does. Very different, very different from other tools. And, and that is, honestly, that's where I see the majority of, of my work, mm-hmm. you know, personally for myself and in, in offering that space to others, you know, whoever I'm so privileged to work with that, we all need so much work in, in learning how to hold. And it's not, and, and sometimes it begins with, oh, okay, I've gotten a little bit better at holding this and this. And then it becomes expansive to, oh, three things and then four things and then five things. And it's like, oh my God, I can't hold anymore. And then you realize actually you can, you can. Yeah, your capacity just keeps growing the more you continue as we started this conversation by saying, the more you continue to do the work. That's where this tool is, it, it leads you into that work and it supports you in it because it, it shows you the blind spots and it shows you your strengths and it, it really does show you areas of growth. I wonder if you could talk for a second and orient people to the points, because another area that can be confusing, like you said, when you're trying to figure out your type and, you know, is it this, is it that? And you've got the wings that are coming into play, bringing a different kind of energy. There are also these points of integration and disintegration. Mm-hmm. I don't know if disintegration, people use different words for that, but um, right. could you talk about those for a minute? Sure. So um, for anybody who is curious, if you just quickly Google up um, Enneagram, you'll see this kind of like circular figure with nine points, right? And you'll notice that these nine points are all interconnected. And so that in itself goes to show you that the path to health means that we integrate all nine energies. So that's one piece to it. Then on a more specific level, each type has a path towards uh, integration or health or disintegration or stress. And these become incredible external markers to help you kind of evaluate for yourself Well, in two ways. One, it can help you determine what your type is just based on how you react in stress and in health. So that's one tool. The other thing is it actually helps you determine your level of consciousness as to where you live most of the time. You don't become another type. So 
oftentimes people ask, oh, you know, will my Enneagram type change? And it may look like it's changing, but the internal motivation never changes. What it does do is it becomes healthier, right? And as it becomes healthier, you start to resemble, you don't become, you start to resemble and take on the positive attributes of a certain type in health. And then when you're in stress and, and feeling overwhelmed, you start to resemble and take on perhaps the not so nice aspects of another type. Yeah. And that really checks out. <laughs> the, it, it really, totally really does. checks out. And, and even to other, you know, other personality tests that I have done, like my points of integration and disintegration are so spot on to where my needs are and to where I go in stress because threes go to a nine in stress. So we go mm -hmm. to, you know, what is normally the peacemaker, but their shadow side is that they will pull back. They will just shut down and not participate. Yep. And that is totally- Binge watch Netflix for nine hours. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> They'll disappear, you know? Yeah. And that's that's me, man. That's my MO. And, and you know, it, it's hard to own these things. That's, you know, I, I, I appreciate this about the Enneagram because it kind of doesn't leave any aspect of your ego unchecked. It really kind of hits every little marker. And right when you think, ah, I could get away with this one little area, nope, there's something in there for that too. And you really are forced to look at it all. And to the extent that you can, it's really helpful. I mean, it's really super helpful to know your needs and to know what you need to be healthy and what healthy can look like for you. Exactly. And, and to also start to see how these needs and these motivations come up in small little ways. You know, that, I think that's, that's when you start to realize, oh, okay, the work is starting to, to deepen mm. a bit more, right? So, uh, you know, this is an example I, I sometimes give that, and I mean, there's just so much more to uncover personally. So this is just one small thing. My work is far from complete, let me first say that. But I started to notice that in group settings, my need for value and to feel valuable can show up when, oh my God, I'm, I'm, when I catch myself unconsciously keeping time as to how long somebody spoke in that, in that conversation. And somehow, and this is the crazy thing, like if you're not a three, you may not understand this. It's like, because I equate that to value, which is insane, right? It's like the longer amount of time somebody speaks, speaks equals value, which is insane. It's not true. You know, sometimes somebody drops like this insane wisdom bomb, you know, and they've only spoken for like 10 seconds. Right. And you feel like, wow. Right. But, but even with that knowledge, it's amazing how the internal wiring and mechanism of the ego still is always running in the background. And to just be able to catch yourself in those moments and to perhaps even bring in some, some levity and just be like, oh, there I go again. Okay, right. I, I see you. I see you running in the background. I'm not going to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's the good thing. So I, was, I wanted to kind of shift us into how do you work with it? So once you kind of uncover your type, you know, what's the point after that? What's the point of knowing your type in the first place? What does it actually help us do? It helps us to actually, well, I think it, it does a couple of things. It gives you permission to finally just own 
our own behavior, right? And I think that's really important. I, I've struggled with it so much. I still struggle with it. Um, to take responsibility for how we've shown up in situations where we possibly justified ourselves previously and to just say, right, I showed up this way because my ego was triggered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm showing up this way because my ego was triggered. Okay, I need to take responsibility for that. And, and sometimes taking responsibility might mean having a conversation with somebody like just apologizing or I think equally, and, and that is absolutely necessary in some cases. In other cases, it may just be, I need to actually start doing this work. I need to. And, and so what's also interesting with these, with these triads, just going back to that for a second, there's underlying emotions for each of these triads. So for the eight, nines, and the ones, it's anger. The default goes to anger. For the twos, threes, and the fours, the default goes to shame. So if you're in the heart triad, and, and this isn't to say that, okay, because I'm an eight, I don't experience shame. Not at all. It's just that it'll, it may show up more evidently as anger, or you may not actually recognize it and label it as anger at all. That's the other thing that happens. So for th- twos, threes, and fours, it's shame. For five, sixes, and sevens, it's fear. So if you are, for example, a shame type, part of the work is actually being able to just see the shame. This is what is actually preventing me from doing the work. Mm. I can't, I can't seem to, I can't seem to own things because God, that ref- I don't even know what to do with myself mm. and to have somebody walk with you, you know, whether it's shame, whether it's fear, whether it's anger, because we repress all of that so much that it's very difficult to be honest. And I think it, the work begins with that honesty. Wow. I, I experience shame on a second to second level in small little places where I didn't even think it was shame. Right. I, I didn't realize it was shame. You know, I mean, you know, even for, for your listeners, like this is our like fourth attempt to record this podcast. Right. Right. <laughs> right? And all four times before, I can't even tell you the amount of shame I was drowning in. I can't, you know, I mean, you were so gracious and, and in no way it's, it's my own self-inflicted shame, right? right? Being a three. It's like, God, how can, what does she think about me? How can, like, how could this happen? This is insane. Right. And to just, but to be able to like hold the shame and just be like, okay, I'm feeling shame instead of like overcompensating for it. Right. Which is very often the tendency um, and that happens with fear that happens with anger. Let me overcompensate or else undercompensate by just saying not my fault at all. There is a middle ground. Mm-hmm. There's a middle ground in actually just owning something without making it too big and without dismissing it completely. And I think that's the work actually yeah. of how do we get to that middle ground and nobody has taught us how to do that. No. Wow. I forgot about the emotions that are associated with the triads. That was a good refresher for me. And hearing you talk about the shame. Yeah. I mean, that's it. 
it's, you know, failure brings shame, any kind of mistake brings shame. And it's, it's a, the shame is it's as Brene Brown has so perfectly, you know, taught us all, you know, shame is telling you that you are not good, that there's something wrong with you. It's not that that situation has, was, you know, isolated and that was maybe not the best thing or maybe not the best behavior. It's deep, it's deep in threes. And it's, it was interesting for me to hear you talk about, you know, we've tried to record this several times and various things, which none of which were your fault. So, I mean, it was like, things just come up. But as a three, interestingly, to hear you talk about how you were feeling, I go that same way. I was like, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. Like no stress. No, I will do that every time because that's my three freaking out about like, I don't want that person to feel like, I don't want them to feel shamed. I don't want, because I would assume everybody would feel that way because that's how I'm, you know, that's how I would feel. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. And we offer to others what, you know, what we need need for ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I mean, I deeply appreciated it. And I guess this is the interesting thing, right? You, you, you receive it and it like takes a little bit of the edge off, but it's so deep rooted. It's like, oh, they're just being nice. That's not actually true. My value just actually dropped. That's what's actually happening internally. My value dropped. Like now the expectation for myself is I need to be so good on this podcast because she has been so accommodating. Amazing. Like this is all internally going on. And where do we have spaces to actually like speak out the internal narrative and just, just be given space. Yeah. And to be given space in that framework. I mean, to it helps to have the framework to understand where that's coming from. And it also in a way, it disassociates it as being so daggone personal, right? Like, wait a minute, this is how threes are. This is a, this is just a type of, like you said, seeing the world, this is a way that the ego comes in. It really does help you to step back and say, this is a lens. This is an ego thing happening. This is not actually me. And I, I would be so curious with other types, and maybe you've seen this in your work, I don't know if threes feel that more because we just sit right in that center of the heart triad. So that shame piece, I think, just comes and nails us so, so fiercely that that makes it even more of a powerful tool to say, that's not actually me. So I, I wonder if people in other triads, if, if anger is your default or fear is your default, do you get that same relief by, by discovering your triad, by discovering just where you sit in the grouping? I would think so. I think there's a freedom in it. I think that it takes a lot of work. Uh, That's also something I've seen that people who sit in a particular triad and, you know, I, I was one of those people, shame. What are you talking about? I don't feel shame. It takes a lot of work to actually see it for what it is, Mm -hmm. whatever that underlying emotion is, right? Because it can so quickly move to another emotion we can't actually sit in the primary emotion for very long. It goes somewhere else and it can go to a myriad of emotions. So to like retrace those steps back to saying, because like I said before, it very often goes to overcompensation or like severely dismissing it. Right. So like for nines, for example, anger, anger is the primary emotion, wholly repressing because if you think about it, it's in direct opposition to their basic need to feel peaceful how can I be a peaceful person if I experience anger? That's totally contradictory. Wow. So are they, there are passive aggressive types, correct? 
they can be very, very much so. So the anger, how does it, it has to come out somewhere. So it leaks out, you know, and it leaks out in the places where like, sometimes it's just building and building and building and building and it leaks out in a place or it explodes in a place where you're like, I have no idea what's going on. I just moved this cup somewhere else. I didn't realize it meant so much to you that it had to be here. And then like once that's gone and like for nines, typically it says it comes out through the wing. So it's an explosion, the eight wing, or it comes out like very pointed, like a hose with the one, mm-hmm. right. It becomes so like targeted. Um, and then it just disappears and you feel kind of crazy on the outside. You're like, what happened? The person's like, yeah, everything's fine <laughs> because it's like, I don't allow myself to be angry because if I allow myself to be angry, then I'm not a peaceful person. And I'm a peaceful person. Mm. Mm. So we all do this in our own way. We just spoke about the three and the nine, but every single type. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, so the nine is the center of the that triad, the body triad. So that is the anger. The, what is it? The six is the center of the head triad. The thinking or the, the head. Yes. So that one is fear. So how does that come out yeah. for a six? So sixes are really interesting. You can have two types of sixes. You can have counterphobic and phobic sixes. So counterphobic means that I experience fear and I push back hard against it, right? Or phobic, I experience fear and I drown in it. Mm. So their experience of fear, depending on if they're counterphobic or phobic, are very different experiences. So one, just like just completely mires themselves in it. And the other, it almost feels eight-ish like, where it's like, I will like punch fear in the face when actually they are really afraid. And so just to know like, what is my mechanism? How do I deal with it? Do I like just dive into it? Do I like rebel against it? Both are overcompensations, right? How do I actually deal with it? Yeah. How do I deal with it in a healthy way? Yeah, I can see how the one the, the numbers that are in the middles, the nine, the three, the six, I can see how they would be torn on both sides. And and just like you said, that over you overcompensate one way or the other. Oh, I feel that in my own life in a major way, sitting in the middle. What about somebody who's not in the middle? So let's let's go to a, a different number and, and give some context for another one. Let's say like a seven. Sevens right. are usually known to be very happy and joyful and always up and everything yeah. is great. And you could put a you know, happy, positive outlook on anything that happens. So give us a little context on what happens to them when they go into fear. Uh, Often they outrun fear. (laughs) I'm just keeping myself so busy. And because I'm keeping myself so busy, I just, I don't have time for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that kind of also plays into the fact that with uh, sevens, um, my range of emotions is only in the positive half. Yeah. I find it very difficult to actually feel negative emotions. And guess what? Fear is a negative emotion. Yeah. They're going to hightail it right away from that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so nuanced as to how we do it. And I think just even that realization of how, how we respond in certain ways based on that need just that one piece is enough to do tons of work on for the rest of your life. Oh, it is. It really, really is. I mean, like I, I said at the beginning, I have, pages of notes here. I mean, I could flip through them and stop on just any one line. And that could spend, I could spend a lot of time with a coach or a spiritual director or anyone just looking at that piece or journaling on that one piece to illuminate my own experience, my own understanding, 
and to help me move forward in a you know more productive way in the way that we're going through the world. What else can we tell our listeners about the Enneagram that might might help you know wrap it up for them or or about the work that you do with people? I know that you do help people find their way through and help them discern their number if they feel that they need a little support there. Mm-hmm. And I'm wishing I had known you a couple of years ago because I would have jumped right on it. I'd try, you know, would have saved me all this this reading. But I know you help people discern their numbers, but what I think then you continue to work with them. So what does that work yeah. look like? So that work depends on whatever somebody wants to explore, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes it's an exploration of a relationship Sometimes it's, I want to show up better at work. Sometimes it's, I want to figure out my purpose. I find all of these to just be entryways to actually just doing the work. Mm. It's helpful to just have a starting place, right? I think back very often to a really lovely client who's honestly a friend. um, And she wanted to figure out what she wanted to do in her life. And she is a three with a two. And after a couple of sessions, we realized actually the work had to be done in terms of the two, um, the helper side of her, where she found it so difficult to say no to anybody. There was no time to actually explore what she wanted to do. Yeah. Right. So I find like just having a starting place is so helpful because then it just opens up into what are the struggles there. And those struggles become a few anchors to start going deeper and kind of like unraveling and asking questions and and shining more light on the why. Why am I reacting in this way? What is being triggered? And I think that is in some ways a great way to sum up what I do with people. And that is exploring what triggers us right? Because it becomes very difficult when we unconsciously keep moving through the world, constantly being triggered, constantly reacting, and having no, no knowledge or even a pathway. I think a lot of people want to understand why they're being triggered, but they don't have anything tangible to help them figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so having somebody to act as a mirror, to act as like uh, just a light and to, to kind of just sh- illuminate parts and, and, and offer some suggestions of connections as they're speaking can help bring those epiphanies and those realizations immediately for them. So they own the process. It's not somebody advising you, but you own the process of that discovery. Oh my gosh. I have a million more questions. I know we are almost out of time, but I have so many other questions for you. One really quickly, and we don't, we're not going to have time to go into this, but I did want to highlight, are there certain numbers, for lack of a better word, if you're in relationship, let's say you're in a marriage or a partnership, or are there certain numbers that, I mean, what could you, could you learn something from like, here's my number and my spouse is this number. And this might be why we either have such you know positive connection or in here, some areas where we have issues and here's why, can it be useful in those areas or not so much? Unbelievably, unbelievably. My husband and I are both threes but we have different wings. He has a two wing. I have a four wing. Guess where, you know, we have a bit of conflict. It (laughs) tends to come from the wings. You know, I mean, it doesn't mean that even within like just being threes, we're so different. Right. But I think the exploration of that in relationships is unbelievably useful. It also brings forth so much more empathy and compassion to recognize 
my partner or my friend's struggles are different or similar or a different version of the struggles that I have. Mm-hmm. And that empathy actually becomes the doorway to having much more productive exchanges and conversations. And so then mutual understanding can actually be the bridge to build something on. And it also helps to elevate our own level of awareness and consciousness. And as both people's awareness and consciousness grows, you know, a lot of times people ask, are there certain types that are more compatible with others? No, it just depends on your level of awareness. Two healthy any types will go great. Two unhealthy any types, good luck. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be issue, right? And that's, oh, again, so many layers. You know, you've got the numbers, you've got the wings, we've got the triads, we've got the points of integration and disintegration. And then we have on top of all of that is your level of consciousness to any of those points within your own process, within your own life, at whatever point in time you're at. It's such a deeply rich tool there's so much to get out of it. There's just so many ways to work with it. And uh, if people had not heard of it before this session, I hope they're a little more familiar with it after today's show. So I wanted to talk about your website because I know you've got a few things up there. So why don't you tell us, do you have anything coming up? How do you work with clients? Give us a little bit of background on your work. Sure. So I offer Enneagram consultations, as as I mentioned before, in terms of helping people figure out what ego lens they see the world through, as well as ongoing coaching to to really understand and start to um, work with those triggers in in healthier ways. Um, And when I mean triggers, I mean triggers to the identities that we hold dear. That's what I mean. Um, And the ones that we're not conscious of even. Mm-hmm. Starting to unearth those identities is really important, so helpful. So I do that, and I do that in both the professional and personal settings. Uh, I also offer meditation because that really is helpful to integrating body, mind, and heart, those three centers we spoke about earlier. And I am in the midst of just putting together some finishing touches. I'm going to be launching um, a course uh, called Enneagram Meditations, where we'll be exploring for now three of the sen- uh, three of the types, so the three, six, and the nine, and exploring and imbibing the energies of those types through meditation. Wow, that sounds fascinating. All right, you have to make sure I, I get the update on when that happens because I want to be part of that. I totally will. So, um, so that's also that will be coming up at some point soon. So those are kind of the offerings that you know I I feel called to share kind of at the level of where I'm at right now in my own understanding and, and, and journey of the Enneagram. And yeah, happy to support anybody who might be interested. Well, that's beautiful. And I also know on your website, you have a free intention setting template. So if people wanted to get that, they could go to your website and I will link to that and your meditation courses, your Enneagram meditation course when that comes out and your website, I'll link to all of that in our show notes. And where else can they find you? Are you on Instagram? I am. So you can find me at Illuminate, I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-E dot N-Y-C. And um, you'll see, you know, it's my own evolution with social media. There's incredible Enneagram accounts that speak to like the types and, and understanding them better. And, and what I've realized with my own is that I 
I used to be called to doing that, but now it's just mostly my own ramblings and realizations of the Enneagram. So if you're interested in, in that, please check it out and hopefully it can be of some service to you. Oh, well, I love your Enneagram. I love, I almost said I love your Enneagram feed. <laughs> <laughs> I love your Instagram feed. <laughs> Different. Thank you. I do love your Enneagram too, though, since we share a number. So uh, there's <laughs> we're kindred spirits there as well. Well, Vryn, this has been an amazing conversation. I, like I said, we could have gone in so many different directions. I love the direction that we went and I would love to have you back sometime to talk about your other work that you're doing. You were an excellent guest. You did not need to over deliver for today at all. I'm so pleased that we finally got the chance to connect. This was a real, real pleasure for me. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for your graciousness, for your enthusiasm, and just such a really heart-enriching conversation. Oh, isn't Vryn amazing? Oh, so good. So good. Just such a wonderful person. I could have talked to her all day long, and I do hope to have her back on the show again at some point. There are so many other things I would love to talk to her about. So if you love this conversation and there were things that came up or things that intrigued you that she does and other work that she does that you would like to hear more about, pop me a message on Instagram and let me know, and I would be happy to have her back. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. I hope that you got something tangible out of it that you can put to practice right now on your journey. You can pick up another powerful tool for growth by joining us on May 4th, Tuesday, May 4th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time for our Core Values Workshop. It's totally free, so head over to my website, theintunexperience.com, and sign right up. You're going to get your Core Values Workbook and the link to join us. I hope to see you on Tuesday. So thank you so much for taking this time out of your day to learn and to grow with me. I always appreciate you guys being here, and I hope you have a really great week. You and me, you and me, he and she, he and she, next door neighbor, stranger down the street, form a chain, form a chain, grab the clouds, grab the clouds, cause we haven't even touched our highest ground. No, we haven't even touched our highest ground. No, we haven't even touched our highest ground. Unleash Your Soul Song is recorded and edited in 426 Studios, the music production company that I co-own. For more information about our music and our services, please visit www.four26studios.com. That's www.426studios.com.